Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing Podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Always Be Testing podcast. I'm your host, Ty DeGrange, and I am pumped to have none other than Jordan Cooney with us today. What's up, Jordan? Ty. Hey, man. It's great to be here. Super pumped to be on the show, and it's going to be a lot of fun to go through our conversation today. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. We talked about a lot of good stuff already. We're diving into more SEO topics. We're diving into more learnings, the theories of testing and learning and experimentation and what comes out of that. I think for most people, they realize you're one of the leading SEO experts in the world. You're kind of looking at the the landscape that Google's throwing at us. Maybe start out with like, what has Google done recently? Uh, a lot of talk of them eating up the search engine results page, a lot of clicks going to Google. You've got Moz coming out and kind of challenging them and saying like, hey, I'm going to do a study independently to see what the heck's going on. What's some of your view on them kind of eating the SERP page and, and what's happening with how do people think about that and what should we do about it? I mean, it's still pretty early days, I'd like to say, um, although a lot of people would disagree with me. They, they think, you know, like AI is, is, has, has hastened the pace of innovation. But here's my perspective on it. The pace of innovation is dictated by the consumer, right? And the consumer is Google's users, the people who are engaging with the SERP. And Google's constantly testing, constantly changing things up, some for revenue and profitability, Right, things like uh, we'll call it the hotel finder or shopping ads or other ways to incorporate advertising and making it more uh, sticky to searchers. But the other component that's evolving here is the evolution of the SERP and how AI is driving new experiences and how Google thinks about new experiences. And from my perspective, the generalized SERP is pretty much the same that it was just six months ago when the AI door just got blown open. However, Google is testing and testing hard and fast. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see by the end of this year, a strong set of introduction to AI specific experiences that are hopefully designated as AI, like told the consumers that these are AI, yep. but that allow consumers to find and refine their, their searches in a much more expedient and faster way. So this could be uh, more verticalization in the SERPs, so more, more vertical specific experiences that are powered by AI. I think there's going to be a huge disruption and a lot of disruption in local-based searches and what we see at a local level Google has a lot of data already there through maps and ratings and other, other products that they've developed. Um, and so I expect to see a lot more activity around that. And then lastly, I would actually argue that we'll, we'll see some more evolution around media and our media consumption. Today, Google allows consumers to see a lot of flexibility in media options and go to different outlets or channels. But I wouldn't be surprised if Google starts to, let's just say, give consumers the cliff notes 
in terms of what's happening. Interesting. Interesting. So do you think it's more curation snippets brought to media? How do you think that looks for, for people in the media side of it? 100%. I think it's either curation, it's taking personalization, so users' behaviors and habits to then surface more trustworthy, let's call it, uh, media outlets or sources, and in synthesizing that, like actually consolidating an entire article into a paragraph and saying, hey, this is, this is what this uh, news article is about, right? You know, as we're recording, there's, there's new news coming out all the time, right? And, and sometimes that news is, is really well documented and refined, and sometimes that news isn't. This morning, uh, Mitch McConnell had this episode where he was addressing the public and for 30 seconds just stood at the podium not saying anything, and then was escorted off by his staff. So right now, that's the news that we have right now today as we're recording. I'm sure that that news story is going to evolve six or seven times over the next week as we unfold what exactly happened to him. Did he just have like a heart attack? Did he just brain just stop working? Did like his notes all of a sudden get infiltrated by a bunch of liberals and it said, you know, (laughs) random support for Biden? I have no idea what actually (laughs) happened, but I can tell you that the news story is going to change. And what I can see Google doing is I can see them really creating a narrative in their SERP that controls what is really true or fact versus what is us here speculating. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that could raise all all kinds of questions around philosophy and feeding users what they maybe have already are leaning towards versus maybe what would be beneficial, the contrarian view, the the objective view of news, which is maybe not what we're going to solve for today, but raises some philosophical questions about the power and influence of, of Google in itself. More germane to kind of performance marketing and growth and what we can actually control. It doesn't sound like it's materially changing from you, you but do you think it's mostly concern and preparation than it is reality? Like brands are not necessarily massively altering their approach to SEO or approaching the SERP. Those that are making changes, kind of what are maybe what are you seeing in terms of what people can do and what people are doing? What are you advising clients to do? It's a phenomenal question. And I think there's a lot that needs to be done by brands, especially brands who are very comfortable with their positioning in the SERPs. I think of a TripAdvisor in a lot of local and in hotel and informational hotel and, and vacation type content. They've had a, a foothold on that type of content and that kind of search behavior for the better part of a decade. But don't get comfortable because companies like TripAdvisor are going to have to use their AI technology to better determine and decipher exactly what Google's most interested in. If you have a page that's about vacationing in Hawaii, what are the the touch points or what are the cliff notes within that vacationing in Hawaii page that is going to be most useful in a SERP to get consumers to, to understand or process the information? Is it the summary of the different islands? Is it the uh, vacation packages? Is it the types of events or activities that these different islands have? I chose Hawaii specifically because it's a complex vacation. It's not just like you're going to one city. 
that has just one thing to do. If you're going to Orlando, I'm pretty sure you can guess what you're doing there. Like there's not a ton of like uh, legwork in terms of uh, figuring out what you're gonna do in Orlando, but if you say you're gonna go on a vacation to Hawaii, there are a variety of options, there are a variety of international airports you can go to. There's a varying degree of quality, size of city, outdoor activities that you can do based on where you go in Hawaii. And I'm sorry for all the listeners who haven't been to Hawaii yet. I highly encourage you to go visit. It's quite a beautiful place. But I will say this, it creates a unique scenario for the SERP in terms of what do I surface? What's the most important and relevant information for the user on the other end? And that's where TripAdvisor is going to have to get smart. How do I use AI to consolidate, better feature, highlight content so that I can acquire what is going to be a less cluttered SERP. It's gonna be a more clarified SERP that Google uses features like they've been using for the better part of the last decade, like people also ask or questions, frequently asked questions in SERPs. These are features that Google puts in there because it helps users refine and identify what they actually want. Yeah, the usage of the snippets has to be going up and to the right. It just seems like it's, I don't know how, are you seeing data to support that there's just more and more of that happening in the SERP? Or is it kind of a mixed uh, met, mixed result? I mean, right now today, I don't think a ton of it is happening. I think that Google is using what they've traditionally called SERP elements, which are powered by, or SERP features, which are powered by AI, right? Things like answer box, things like knowledge graph, things like the local pack. These are all powered or levered by AI, but AI as a journey in the search engine is a new way of us searching. It's introducing a new level of engagement that allows a searcher to utilize this great AI tool to help it determine an outcome, hopefully in in theory, faster, more efficiently, and, and in a more scalable way. Yeah. I was just referring to regular old snippets. I'm finding myself using the heck, like those a lot more than I have previously. So my triangulating thinking, like, is that what others are doing as well? Is that where the data's showing? I think that the snippet or the the answer box element or some sort of summary of information is what a lot of consumers are looking for. They're not looking to go to the recipe page and scroll and scroll and scroll to find the ingredients. 100%. Because all I wanted was the ingredients. Come on, just give it to me. And so, so like, I think that's, that's where we're at as consumers is like, yeah, we're okay with the SERP telling us that this is the best recipe, but we're not okay with having to spend three to five minutes going through an entire recipe page to actually find what we want because it's cluttered with ads, it's cluttered with additional information, it's cluttered with this long narrative and story about grandma passing that recipe down 16 generations. Yeah, 18 ad blocker poppers and crazy things. Exactly. And it's all great context if and only if the user wants the context. Yeah. But if the user doesn't want the context, hopefully they can use AI or leverage technology like this to find what they actually need. Yeah. And back to the brands that, you know, kind of working with closely to figure out growth and and things for, what are you, there's a lot of talk about yeah, using AI to generate content. What have been results there? Like are, are brands actually doing that effectively? Absolutely. 
Uh, let's take a SERP experience that is very common today, FAQs. So you have a ranking result, you're ranked number one, you got a couple of frequently asked questions that are relevant to that page. This happens in various categories, everything from e-commerce to travel to finance to just about everything. FAQs is a very common SERP element that shows up. One of the things you can use AI for is to help better map the intention of a question to the purpose of the page, which then can, in theory, improve the exposure or the click-through rate because you have highly relevant ask, ask questions, right? Many of these pages already have six, seven, eight questions on it, but what are the ones that are most important because Google's only going to give you a preference to two? Those are the types of things that we're working with companies to help them better use AI to, at scale, determine things like, what are the best uh, frequently asked questions to show on a page? Or what are some of the best reviews to surface on this page? Or how can we better map images or other media to these pages? These are the types of things that AI can help you do at scale with the right prompts and logic and data inputs uh, to support the brand and the mission of that particular page or content. That's awesome. Let's say D2C Ecom brand, let's say they're in health and wellness. Say they're doing, I don't know, range of 50 to 50 million a year. Let's say they've got the kind of their paid machine running quite well and some good content out there, blog, reviews. Trying to kind of think of a case that might be interesting for you and what similar to what you've seen and come across. What are some of the core building blocks that they need to be thinking about now, maybe versus what's been in the past? Like what's kind of the checklist that they kind of need to nail at a macro level to be successful with SEO, with content? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you mentioned healthcare right off the bat. So one of the big things that I think a lot about when I think of healthcare or finance is what, how are you going to evolve the signals you provide consumers to be a trusting website? And this is unique to these types of categories because of the fact that they're not just selling a, a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. They're a service that has huge implications to our livelihood, right? Finance and, and health as, as two examples. And if you think about a health website today, you know, you might feature the doctors that are on the, that wrote the article or that are part of the practice. You might have an about us page that details how, you know, you've been won 17 awards that nobody knows the name of. You know, these are things that hospitals and and medical type websites often do. But we need to start thinking about evolving that trust factors and trust as, as a website as we move into an AI-driven world, right? And one of those trust signals might be to share with consumers when a particular page is from one of our doctors or from one of our health professionals or if it's just an informational page that was built for marketing purposes, right? That would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Deciphering that, right? Kind of putting a, a notice on these pages because we want our consumers to know that Dr. Sally over here put this lovely page together for you or over here, some marketing guy named Jordan just happened to throw this page up, up there for you. Another thing that will be really interesting for health and medical to think about around trust signals and how you create these trust signals is to develop experiences that allow your consumer to adequately control the information that's being 
provided. So one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of health and medical sites do is instead of there being just like an inquiry form or a submission form to use some of the technology that's already available to us, right? Like just instead of you submitting a form, how about you submit this information through your Google account? How about you submit this information through some other means that already can identify you and now we don't have to have this friction of storing your data or knowing this information about you. These are really important trust signals that these types of institutions need to think about because it changes the long-term game as to how Google analyzes and understands the importance of how you're protecting consumers' data and information. And that's becoming more and more important in an AI-driven world. That's what I think about when I think about health and medical is, is how, do you, how do you evolve that, right? And how do you evolve that based on the type of content and experiences that you're serving up? Yeah. Everything from your profiles to the services you provide to maybe even more programmatic experiences, like if you have like a whole directory of, of, of content of, of some kind. Yeah. You're addressing the personalization demands and the trend that's become so massive. You're addressing the pri- you know, privacy related concerns and changes that have come in cookie deprecation to GDPR. So your counsel there is really interesting, I think really valuable because it kind of hits on some of the biggest issues for the health and wellness category. You have to develop that trust with the user and also address all these things that have been you know, thrown at us as, as marketers and folks working in digital. Exactly. I love that. Topic near and dear to our heart to the most disrespected, misunderstood performance marketing channels, SEO and affiliate. Here we are. Disrespected might be a little harsh. (laughs) Misunderstood, miscategorized, but valued still, right? Right. (laughs) Right. Could bring a lot of money to your business, can work really well. There's certainly pockets of people that get it, that understand it. A lot of people are concerned about how do we get them to play together? How do we get SEO and affiliate to kind of complement one another. I'd love to hear your perspective on this. We've talked about it over the years from our days at eBay to to various experiences with brands, but what are you seeing as as ways that we can kind of make those things sing together when right now? I think that there's a lot that affiliate has always taught not only SEO but but web development in general, right? Like many affiliate players really kind of chart the path for where and how we can develop experiences for the core brand. And I think that that's an important thing to always be mindful of is if you don't have a strong pulse of what, of what is happening with affiliate and affiliate partners, you're not going to have a strong pulse on how to develop and define your website's future. And at the end of the day, that's what we're always talking about here is we're talking about digital demand, how you create digital demand, um, through specific channels. So that, that's one thing to just kind of catalog in the back of your mind is that this is a group of innovators who typically identify ways to leverage traffic to help brands grow, but that lever is oftentimes what helps the brand itself grow in the future. So one thing to keep in mind. The second thing here is I get a suspicious feeling because of the ability for affiliates to be nimble and fast, they're going to use AI faster than most brands can. Whether it's in content generation, whether it's in development of experiences, whether it's in um, refining or defining what is, is, is shown on a website or web page, 
they're going to use AI a lot faster than most brands can, which means that you have to be attentive to where and how AI is being used and what could or possibly be an AI experience. At least for the foreseeable future, the AI is going to be a wild west. And there's not going to be a stamp on any of these websites that says built by AI. I mean, as much as I'd love for that to be the case, which it probably should be, and hopefully if any legislator of our country is listening, they'll take that to heart, we are not going to see from affiliate or from brands this designation of AI creation. So we have to be smart marketers. We have to be smart innovators to identify where and how brands or affiliates are using these technologies to their advantages, uh, to their advantage, excuse me, and whether or not it is something that's applicable to our business. I think that is probably the most uh, unique way that affiliate and SEO are going to merge together is, is that as affiliates develop new experiences using AI, the SEO landscape is going to change and who and what shows up is going to change. And SEO's ability to identify that and utilize that to create points of scale, whether it is for the affiliate brand or the affiliate itself or the brand, is going to be a really kind of unique territory that that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I love that. Your team, you you do a lot with unlocking growth and helping brands with SEO, with content. You also have done a lot in the placement of great talent, sourcing of great talent where there's demand and need there, which is high. When you're looking on the talent side and you're thinking about candidates, like what are you looking for from an SEO perspective? What are some of the things that rise above? What are some of the things that really get you excited as someone who's able to kind of tap your network and source and find folks? What are, what are people looking for in that category as well on the SEO and content side of growth? Specifically from from a talent perspective, like what's happening in the market and like who's out there. I still believe that it is an incredibly challenging market for most brands to navigate. And it's not to say that there aren't great recruiting agencies and and talent organizations out there that can help with it, but it, it almost requires a level of expertise to be able to decode, is this a good affiliate marketer? Is this a good content marketer? This is a good SEO for my team. And the reason is that I, I like to call it, it's like a Rubik's Cube. You're solving a Rubik's Cube. It's three-dimensional. It's not just are you finding the, uh, if a person has the right skills, but you're actually trying to map those skills to what the company's status is. Like, where are they in their development of this type of a program? And then you're trying to combine that all with the availability that's in the market. Like, who's out there that will fit into these roles? Mm-hmm. I still think there's a huge mismatch. I still see a lot of SEOs that are hired into the wrong roles. I still see a lot of content marketers who are ill-equipped to to serve the strategic needs of an organization. Ultimately, I think that that's going to change quickly because what I'm seeing, to answer your question, is a lot of organizations are bringing on advisors, like myself from an SEO standpoint, but they're bringing on advisors to help with that journey of recruiting and finding the right fit being part of the interview process and encouraging their HR teams, their internal teams, that this isn't just a decision we can make alone within our four walls. We need an outside party that can help us value and identify the right skills and talent. It's really fascinating because it's almost like saying, hey, we almost need this like 
fractional CMO type, fractional head of growth type that's seen a ton of stuff because you make a mistake on the hiring side. We've all been there. It can be extremely cost costly. Even on the agency side, it can be extremely costly. We talked to a lot of clients that have been burned and having that voice of reason internally, even sometime part-time can be, sounds like a great insurance policy. Interesting. No doubt. And I think it gets interesting when you go from organizations who are looking for a chief growth officer, or they're looking for a CMO, or they're looking for a VP of demand gen, or even a director, depending on the size of the organization, these highly leadership-driven, strategic-driven type roles are great. But what I'm finding is that many of those individuals, especially with affiliate and SEO, since we're talking a lot about those two, they often lack the experience in hiring those roles to know how to hire the right channel owner and the person who's, at the end of the day, directly responsible for the channel itself. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I really like that. What do you think people get wrong on the content creation side? What's something they often don't do right? Oh, man, that's a tough one, Ty. You know, <laughs> Content creation is a really challenging topic. And I think that it's challenging for content marketers, so the people who eat, live, and breathe content on a daily basis. It's hard for SEOs, uh, and it's hard for brands. I think that the, the biggest challenge on the content side is a lack of alignment. Usually when, when I hear from my clients that volume isn't at the pace that they want it to be at, or the quality of the content isn't what they were expecting, it's usually a misalignment problem. It's a misalignment with what is being produced. It's a misalignment with how it's being evaluated. It is a misalignment organizationally towards the outcome of what is, in essence, content marketing. And I think that it's really funny because what I'm seeing is, is the CMO, right? That function in these organizations or the leaders that support that CMO, they are struggling mightily to help shape and define the alignment to get to points of scale. But what I see with small brands is when small brands get on that cadence and they're able to move quickly, they grow really fast. I've seen enterprises who can align themselves to strong programmatic strategies implement the utility of data and scale to drive content and pages, and they grow really fast. But when there is no alignment, you can bet that content marketing is the fastest channel to fail. What percentage of companies that are kind of like in the game and really like over a certain size, I don't know, like a lot of the companies we talk to, what percent do you think are actually tapping into content creation effectively? Effectively is, is a very small percent. I think, I think it's definitely like that traditional like bell curve, right? It's like maybe 10% are doing it really, really exceptionally well. 80% are just trying their hearts out. And then there's the, the bottom 10% that are just a complete catastrophe and can never get anything published and literally get in their own way. And those are those political nightmares that everyone's wondering why 17 people need to review a piece of content before it gets published. And the piece of content that's being reviewed is the uh, policy disclaimer in the footer. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, what are we doing here? You know, <laughs> I think 17 people might read it for the next 10 years. Right. Exactly. That's the real challenge is 
how you move yourself out of that 80%, because that's where most of the businesses are, yep. into a high performer. And the crazy thing is because most businesses are in the 80%, a lot of companies see success from content marketing because of that reason. You're seeing wins. You're seeing wins happen. But in order for you to be in the top 10%, in order for you to own a category, in order for you to d- dominate a topic, you got to be in that top 10%. I love it. That's what we're striving for. Speaking of striving, some fun topics. We need a uh, underrated red wine recommendation. What's your what's your go-to right now, Jordan? Oh my goodness, man. I did not see that one coming. Underrated red wine. It is summertime and it is hot everywhere. So maybe Yeah, I know. Maybe broaden it to wine period, <laughs> but I would say that my underrated red wine right now is likely going to be you know what? I got, I got, I have it. I got it perfectly. So my, my brother bought a case of South American uh, red wine and there's a, a great selection of the non-conventional grapes, wines coming out of Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, that aren't your normal uh, local wines from those regions, right? You think Argentina, you think Melbeck, right? You think Chile, you think Carmenere coming out of there, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing amazing Cobb Francs. I'm seeing amazing Cabernet Sauvignon, amazing Tanats that are just coming out of these regions that most of the time you think United States or you think, you know, Europe for those, but it's actually really fun. So next time you're at the grocery store, uh, you're looking at some South American wines. Uh, don't go for the conventional grape. Go for the oftentimes very well-known grapes, but from those regions. That's my recommendation right now. That's amazing. I don't think anyone would have guessed that and said that, <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't have. So I'm glad I asked. That's awesome. Good. A really, really important part of the pod. What on earth are the Packers going to do without your friend, Aaron Rodgers? This is a good question. This is a good question. So I was ready for Aaron Rodgers to depart. Understandably. Yeah, understandably. You know, I'm speaking of podcasts. I was getting sick and tired of seeing him on podcasts. I was getting sick and tired of seeing him go into dark rooms for long periods of time. You know, so candidly, I was I was ready, I was ready for the drama to move on, you know, and we've had a lot of drama in Green Bay. He loved it. Yeah, yeah. I was I was ready for Hollywood to move on. So the unfortunate news for the Packers is they're probably not gonna win as many games. The man is talented, right? And he he could sling a football. But um uh, Jordan Love, which, by the way, has a phenomenal name, just to be perfectly clear about know. His, his parents and how excellent they were at naming choices. Amazing. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is he can't sling a football like, like the old man Rogers. So no. um, losses are in our future, many of them likely. Um, you know, if we're eight and nine, I'll be proud of our season. But that, that's my prediction right now for the Green yeah. Packers. I love it. And hey, you know what? It's a team game. You got to rebuild and start somewhere. Agreed. It's going to be fun to watch. Agreed. I'm looking forward to next year's draft for a new quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, maybe something on the market you can pick up in a trade. Uh, Who knows? If the 49ers end up with three good quarterbacks, we might have to. (laughs) I'm willing to make a deal. I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to have Jordan Cooney, SEO content growth expert, as always, breaking down the learnings of business, marketing, life, and in this case, wanting in football. Love it. What more do you want? Exactly. Great to be here. Thank you, Ty, for the opportunity. Always. 